Before I start episode 39, I want to remind you that I'm giving away five copies of Cashflow Cookbook, a new book written by Gord Stein from episode 36 of the show. If you're interested in winning a copy, head over to bowhumphreys.com slash giveaway and enter. The giveaway runs for the whole month of July. This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is The Personal Finance Show. Tyler Sheff doesn't believe that real estate is a get-rich-quick investment. His team understands the value of the old saying that slow and steady wins the race. Many people look to real estate as a way to make some quick money or guaranteed returns. But it's way more complicated than that, and if you don't understand what you're getting into, you can easily lose your shirt and more by getting into real estate with a lack of financial intelligence. Tyler started Cashflow Guys because he knows how challenging it can be to deal with all the pieces of the puzzle. Tyler is so serious about making sure that you're a good fit with his program that he doesn't just take anyone as a client. There are some people that just don't have the right mindset to get into real estate right now. And if Tyler notices that, he tells them to keep their money and sends them packing. This isn't about Tyler making money while others lose money. His whole business is about connecting the right people and ensuring that everyone involved is successful. But Tyler didn't get into real estate until later in life. Let's start at the beginning, in a small town called Hamburg, New York. Oh, geez, I can remember my first, my first probably money time, money thought process was when I had my first little business. I was um, looking to get a job, and nobody would hire me because I didn't have any life experience, right? I could, didn't have anything to put on a resume. How old are except, you? Oh, gosh, I was probably... Nine or ten? Okay. I, I want to say about probably okay. ten years old. Of course, nobody old. would hire you at nine or ten. That was upsetting. Yeah, it was. It was very traumatizing <laughs> to me because I figured, why wouldn't they hire me? That doesn't make any sense. Everybody else has a job. Yeah. Not that. Not that's ten or maybe I was twelve. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I was young though, and I just wanted to work because I what I saw is everybody else went out and had got a job. You know, all my cousins were older than me. They're in their teens and and graduating high school and. They had cars, and granted, I wasn't old enough to drive, but they had cool stuff, and I wanted cool stuff. And yeah. when I asked my parents for cool stuff, they were like, well, you know, you're going to have to learn the value of money, which I'm <laughs> like, well, teach me. You know? Yeah, I'm ready. So you're right. Dad's <laughs> like, that means go get a job. You're going to have to figure out a way to earn the money. So I did your token lemonade stand. Yeah, I guess you can get jobs at that time, right? Yeah, you can get uh, the newspaper deliveries and... That kind of stuff. Well, I so that was actually the very first job was newspaper delivery. I delivered USA Today back in the uh, early 80s. Okay. And yeah. when it first came out. And let me tell you, I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Now, okay. I know you're, you're in Canada. You're in Ontario. Hey, we're so not, right around we're, the corner. I'm pretty close to Buffalo, actually. I'm about an hour from Niagara Falls. So, See? You ever tried delivering newspapers on a bike in December? <laughs> I know the feeling. Right. Doing anything so, in December. Exactly. So I'm dragging this wagon. Oh, that, man. Some idiot thought that the thing was a sled. It didn't slide. It, it was, I could have dragged a car easier than this wagon and dragging these USA Todays. And the problem was is that back then, not everybody subscribed to USA Today. They were new to the space, and they were competing heavily. 
So you would go, I would go one block and deliver one paper and then go like four blocks and deliver the next one. So the weight of this wagon, dragging this wagon around for hours and hours, I'm thinking it was the equivalent for me of a full-time job. It took me probably four hours every day. I had to do it before and after school to get it done. Was it worth it though? No, it wasn't. Yeah. Like I got the fr- I did I had to go like uh I had to go a little over 2 weeks before I got the first paycheck. And like, I get the first paycheck yeah. and it was pathetic. I mean, nothing. I'm no, Bo, it's it's beyond nothing. It was like I don't think I had enough money to buy candy when it was all <laughs> said and done. It was it was ridiculous. So the first lesson I learned was, well, work manual labor for money is certainly not worth it. That that <laughs> that became very clear. Yeah, not that and, kind anyway. Right. So <laughs> I, I was my dad had said, well, you have to focus on doing things that other people don't do. You can't do what the masses does and expect a different result. Yeah, good point. Okay, that works. So my interpretation of that was, well, I talked to a local, our next door neighbor was an accountant, and um, his name was Dave Paulus, and he had a, a two-story building in our town, which was huge. I don't know if you've ever been to Western New York, but Hamburg, New York, having a two-story building is like having Trump Tower. It's, oh, wow. It's okay. massive. I mean, <laughs> wow, you got a second floor? What, what, what possibly would you do the second floor? What do you put up there? I guess an office or something. So he had, his, he had there was stores on the first floor and office space on the second floor, which is where he had his accounting firm. Okay. So I said to him, I said, well, that's, he says, you can wash the windows on the second floor. And the matter of fact, you can do the whole building. So that's great. He says, do you have the equipment? I said, no. He said, I said, well, I have a ladder. So I went next door and got a stepladder, you know, because we lived right around the corner from this place. And I went home and got my dad's stepladder that was eight feet tall. That didn't cut it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, <laughs> it's two floors. Nobody has ladders big enough, right? Right, right. And not that I could even carry one at the time. Of I'm course. probably 12, right? <laughs> so I go through this whole process, and I talked to him, and I said, well, maybe you could buy the equipment for me. He says, wait a minute. You want me to buy the equipment, and you're going to charge me to do the work? Oh. He said, well, yeah. I mean, I didn't know what else to say. Yeah, right? that's your only option. So lesson two is, if you ask for it, there's a chance you might get it, even if it doesn't sound logical at first. <laughs> so are you saying you got it? I got it. He bought it for me. He bought the materials for me. He, uh, wow. I bought, he bought me an extension pole, one of those telescoping poles, and I could literally do three stories. So I was, I mean, I could go move up to the big city. The problem is in my town, there, there's no <laughs> such animal. We didn't have any three-story buildings. I don't think we even, to this day, have three-story buildings in upstate New York, in Buffalo, or in uh, Hamburg, New York. Interesting. Uh, maybe in Buffalo, but certainly not in Hamburg. I think everything is two stories. So long story short, I learned that lesson. Well, then I got, I was the only person in town that had the ability to wash windows. What? Can you, can you believe that? <laughs> no, no, so, I, actually, I, I don't because it doesn't make sense, but I suppose small town with... Exactly. Well, there's sure. think about, there's probably 15 buildings in town, and some people from like Chicago are probably laughing right now going, come <laughs> on, man. But seriously, if you live in small town America, that's the reality. And nobody had any means to wash windows on the second floor. So they just never got washed. So I had Dave. Yeah, Dave wrote wrote a little blurb, a little story about how how he can now see outside. And he doesn't have to look at <laughs> The windows are clean and there's no halo effect, nothing like that. So that hey guys, was my first lesson what? in marketing. If you clean right. windows, you can use them for looking out. of Right. You can like see the weather when the sun does shine. <laughs> Those three days in the summer in New York. <laughs> amazing, amazing. You got your review. You got your first review. Sure. And then I t- turned that into flyers, and I passed them out to everybody that, that I could find that was in a, I mean, I didn't know that people owned buildings versus rented them. I wasn't that sophisticated. Sure. So basically, if you were coming out of a two-story building, you got one of my flyers. <laughs> uh, can I wash your building? 
Exactly. And they're like, no, I'm just here to get a vacuum cleaner. Yeah. So I, uh, I learned that lesson. I started marketing and I cornered the market. I was the guy that did all the window cleaning for all the second story buildings in Hamburg, New York. Okay. So I made a lot of money that summer. Way more money, and especially for your time. So, like, you're you're spending though. This is still labor for you. It is, but I then I got took it to the next level because what I realized is I didn't have enough time to wash all these windows. Of course. So I was talking to friends of mine at school, and I said, "Guys, do you want to make some extra money? Come wash windows for me." So I wound up essentially passing all of the work over to them, and all I did was really handle the money. So this is early, early learning about delegation. Yeah, I was, I think, 14. I had delegated the entire the labor and the responsibility to my friends. Good. That's they a good were walking around lesson. town. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. They're walking around town cleaning windows and squeegeeing and this, that, and the other. So that's kind of how things got started for me. I thought, okay, well, then really I need to use my brain to earn money and not my hands. Okay. So what what happened next then? Well, from there, let me think. From there, I, well, I, I sold a few things that I probably shouldn't have sold and I don't want. I probably shouldn't go into too much detail, but <laughs> sure. it's legal these days. But back then it wasn't. And <laughs> <laughs> this is circa 1983 or we'll 4 We'll just say whatever. cigarettes. Yeah, devices of entertainment. Are, sure. Are, are, I did a little okay bit of that myself. Right. But, Didn't uh, inhale, though, right? Uh, but <laughs> actually, uh, seriously, I, um, I sold what we call tobacco paraphernalia, which was pipes, accessories that I ordered actually from the States, funny enough. And I got a huge discount and people, people needed pipes for smoking whatever they wanted to smoke. But it didn't matter to me because I was just selling glass and uh, you know, ceramic or whatever, and it wasn't illegal. See, there you go. You're an artist. <laughs> that's what that's called. Early. <laughs> right. But, you know, a lot of this stuff, as you said, it kind of is on the line. But after that, did you, so did you end up going to college? I did not go to college, although to my mother, still to this day, just cringes every time I say that out loud in public. She's like, I still can't believe you didn't go to college. Oh, I it didn't doesn't go matter to college. If, if, you could, if you have a way to make it elsewhere. You well, you know, did. I have a lot of friends that have college degrees, and I have consistently made at least twice as much as they have all, exactly. of, them, all of our lives. <laughs> it's not all it's cracked up to be, is it? No, it's really not. Especially in the States. Uh, you know, I, I keep asking people, it's like a couple hundred grand to go to, to an Ivy League in the States, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. But don't worry, they'll finance it for you. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the, so, in evil the States, yeah, they'll they'll loan you the money to do it. They'll charge you. They'll knock your head off in the price, and then they'll finance it for you. It's like a, it, that's the terrible cash flow lesson. Exactly. Well, it's cash flow. It's just in them flowing in the wrong direction. Yeah, they're getting, they're, getting, they're the smart ones. The <laughs> exactly. people who run the universities. So exactly. you didn't go to college. Uh, so yeah, where'd you go? You went somewhere to make money. I'm guessing. Well, no, I actually joined the U.S. Army. Ah, okay. So I using was that kid your that brain. Got so yeah, well, I got so good at sales that the the. Uh, New York State Police decided it would be a good idea if I joined the military. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The, yeah, the kind of sales that you're doing. So, <laughs> yeah. so you joined, and well, how long were you in the Army? And, and tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, I was in the Army for a little, a little over five years. I extended, and, and it, when it came to learning lessons, boy, I learned a ton there. But when mm -hmm. it came to money, I actually slid backwards. I think I was on a good track when I was a kid. Because I learned about the value of earning money. The problem is I really never knew what to do with it once I earned it. And, and my ah. my interpretation was, well, let's just have fun and spend it. And that's exactly what I did. So hey, It's a teenager thing. That's, that's, sure. that's what you do, right? Fast forward to 1988, 89. I'm in the Army now, and everything's taken care of. I'm in the U.S. military, you don't have to do anything. I mean, literally anything. No they budgeting. feed you. They clothe yeah, you. Right, nothing right. like that. 
if you do are brave enough to venture off post off the the base they anybody any vendor will finance you so in 1989 at the age of 19 i financed a brand new ford mustang gt and just because you're wearing a uniform Convertible, yes, because in our country, if we can finance it, we'll buy it. That makes complete sense, right? <laughs> I've heard this. <laughs> yes, it's true. We are that. Yes, it's we are we are the financial embarrassment of the world. Hey, we're not, you know we're not so far off. We got payday loans all over the place. You just think of us as a, a you know in terms of uh, debt, very similar to you, but uh, you just have more people. So exactly, exactly. So our stats automatically worse. But so I learned that you know. I could just keep buying is what I learned, which is mm. dangerous. I think in 12 months being in the army, I wound up with incredibly terrible credit. Really? And yeah, it was my credit went to, to cause I, they, they just kept financing me and I was of the consumption mindset. So I just kept consuming and consuming and consuming. I had more stuff that I knew what to do with. So I get, I, uh, I get over to Germany. Okay. So well, you actually and, went on, on a tour. Yeah, so they assigned me. I stayed at, uh, at a base in Fort Riley, Kansas, was my first duty station. Mm-hmm. And from there, I was assigned to Europe. So I did three, a little over four years in Europe, in Germany. Wow, where in Germany? I was in Heidelberg. Okay, I, I forget the positioning. I've been in Berlin recently. What uh, is it close to Berlin, or is it in another part? It's a ways. It's about eight oh. hours away. Okay, so it's in the other other part of uh, Germany. It's a big down country. by, yeah, it's down by Bavaria and all that, and Switzerland and down okay. neck of the okay. woods. Okay, yeah, yeah south of Frankfurt. But anyway, so I get over there and I realized that first of all, when I moved, I realized how much stuff I had, right? Because I had bought all this garbage. I had taken these, there was this company called Pioneer Military Lending. They will loan you money for any reason. All you got to do is show up, fog the mirror, you can borrow money. Wow. And I, boy, did I take advantage of it. So So enabling. It's like, it is, it is. hmm. But you know, I can only blame myself. I honestly can only blame myself. I move over there and I'm saddled with all this debt. I mean, literally, I would get my direct deposit paychecks. They automatically send them right into your checking account. They make it so convenient. I get there and I have all the stuff. And the Army will move you. When you're in the U.S. military, they move you wherever they send you. And they'll pay to move every ounce of your stuff. I mean, really? if you could, yeah, if you, oh, you could wow. say that's yours and they'll come pack it up for you and, and off you go. I mean, I assumed it was the opposite, whatever you can fit in a duffel bag. like that's, No, absolutely okay. not, unless you're going to combat. But if you are sure. actually being reassigned they'll take all your stuff your car you name it they'll move everything over there so they did they packed up my my mustang and they put it in a crate and they shipped it over to germany for me what so you didn't even have that typical like i'm moving so i have to purge uh sort of thing which is what we all like to go through i think no it was the opposite it was like i'm going to germany and i'm not sure what they have over there so i better take extra whatever i have here (laughs) okay so so three years in germany and did you did you learn any lessons there well, the first massive lesson is is that I'm an overconsumer. I take too much. I have too much stuff. I don't need all this stuff. I would I would buy stuff just to buy stuff. I like the the dopamine hit from buying things, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I went on this mass purge. I started selling off everything that I didn't need. And my rule is, if I haven't physically touched it in the last three months, it's getting sold. That's a solid if, rule for sure. If, you know, if it doesn't, have, if it has value, if it doesn't have value, it went to the dumpster or to friends. Great. So I got rid of all this stuff, and then I started to think about. I started reading books about entrepreneurship because. Now I'm over that, over the hump. I'm halfway through my military career. And in the U.S. military, they give you blocks of time. Like you sign up for a four-year hitch, let's say, four-year mm. obligation. I had extended. I knew I was in for five. But I know that I'm getting to the end of that, and I didn't want to stay in the Army. Uh, it was okay, but it, it had lost its luster, so to speak, after a couple of years. And the grass is always greener, right? We always say that. Grass yep. is always greener. And I decided I'm looking for the exit strategy. So i got to start learning about how to make money. 
And I knew that after being in the military, I certainly don't like following orders. That's just no fun to me. Oh, really? I, I no. would have thought maybe, well, I guess you were on for uh, the five-year stint, so it's not like you could have left, right? Right. Well, the Army, I was military police, so I was used to being in a leadership position. Ah. So for me, I, working for somebody else would, would have probably been a bit of a challenge. So I thought, I better find something that would allow me to be a leader, right? So that said, I decided entrepreneurship made sense because then I'm, quote, unquote, my own boss. So for me, I uh, started making money by learning how to recognize. One of the books I read, and I can't remember the name of it, it as a long time ago, but it said the best way, the most expedient method to, to make money and make everyone happy at the same time is to find something that solves problems. In other words, find a vocation where you solve problems. Yeah. That's a, that's the, probably the best advice. It's because well, will solve the problem for you and other people. Exactly. So that problem solving for me is one thing. And, and also the second piece of that is focus on, you know, do things that you know, you know, focus on what you know and, and focus on the things that you're already good at and go from there. So what I knew a lot about is I grew up around guns and whatnot. And in the military, I, was, I went to school as an, I was an armor, and I had a lot of experience in firearms and things like that. So what I learned is in Germany, it's very easy for a U.S. citizen to buy guns. I mean, a U.S. citizen can walk into any store in Germany and buy a gun. Oh, really? Then or, or now or always? It's always been that way. And, mm. it, and it's even it's to the point to where it's almost impossible for a German citizen to do it. But there's an exemption for U.S. citizens. So the soldiers, being like wow. me... They've got more money than sense. They're buying every gun they can get their hands on, and then they would take them back to the States and sell them. Well, that's all fine and dandy in theory. Yeah. The problem is these guys, they budgeted like Tyler budgeted. They spent every nickel they had, right? Okay. So that said, uh, now I realize that because they're probably skipping a step because they're just, that's what people do, right? And what I realized is there was this little form called the blue form. And it's a, the in, in the United States, we got the... The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. If sure. you're going to do anything with one of those three things, alcohol, tobacco, or firearms, they usually get involved at the federal government. So Importing it back into correct. the country. Yeah, okay. Because you are absolutely importing it. So what yep. we did was um, I realized the uh, soldiers were always way behind in getting those forms done. And if you didn't give the government about six to eight months lead time, they wouldn't process your form. And what happens to, to the guns? Well, then the guns have to stay in the country. You have to relinquish control of the guns. Well, I was an armor, which means I worked in the arms room. I'm the guy that was keeping your guns. Okay. So you got the guns. <laughs> I okay. did. So I gave an opportunity to folks to capitalize. I'm like, well, you can donate them to the military, and the, gu- and the military does not want your guns, so we're going to melt them down hmm. as surrendered surrendered guns, which would make most people cry. Uh, take, a, take a guy's you know brand-new hunting rifle away and melt it. That doesn't make his day. For sure. Or I can buy it from you. So that's where capitalism kicked in for me. I started buying these guns from these soldiers for on the average of about 10 cents on the dollar. And these were not the guns they were issued by the military. These are guns they bought with their own money. And just so, just for my peace of mind, uh, when, when these eventually get over to the States, they're like it's very controlled, right? It's not like they oh, just absolutely. go. Yeah, okay. I mean, you're oh, military. You're, you seem responsible. It's oh, a sure. very so, Canadian thing to ask. I had to go and do all that. I had to go do all the paperwork. So literally when I came back into the U.S., most people clear customs in what, like an hour when you're transferring between countries. It sure. took me three three days to clear customs. <laughs> of course, like the the stuff. Like you were able to go through, but your stuff? Right. My yeah. stuff took forever. So I was able to get through customs. I sold those all those firearms to uh, three different gun shops. Okay. So yeah. multiple layers of transparency here. Sure, sure. But 
between the three gun shops, I wound up making over $70,000 in profit. What? Okay, wait, wait. And that wait. was in 1992. How many, <laughs> let's step back. How many guns are we talking about then that you could get through? Oh, several hundred. Several hundred. Wow. Of course, three days. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So you got your paperwork in order. Okay, so it seems like you learned an, an awesome lesson about if you just follow the process or if you know the process, you can totally take advantage of it. Absolutely. Hmm. So that's exactly what I did. Now, granted, I there was several times during that three days that I was thinking I was walking away from all that investment, and I probably had about a five thousand, seven thousand dollar investment out there. Okay, so it's a it's a risk, but sure. so your first sort of it's probably a, 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 a your first high stakes risk. Then it, it paid off. It definitely paid off. Hmm. Uh, paid off, you know, incredibly. And then the other way I capitalized is. Because I was in the military, there are, the U.S. military basically goes out and, and has a car buying service. So if you're in a different country or even in the U.S., they, you can get this ridiculous discount to buy a vehicle. Um, and at the time, the, the mark rate, the Deutschmarks were three marks. This is before the euro. Mm-hmm. It was three Deutschmarks to the dollar. Okay. Which essentially meant anything you bought was one-third the cost. Yeah. Right? So I bought a, a, a BMW. I believe it was a, I don't remember the exact model, but I think it was like a 600 series, which wasn't even available in the States. And I had, it was brand new and I bought it with, I qualified for financing, big shocker there, right? Even though I had bad credit, they still financed me because they knew I could, they could get their money out of me. Of course. I brought that thing back to the States and I sold it and made $23,000 off (laughs) of that. So coming home, I had almost a hundred grand. Okay. I'm just going to interrupt for a sec. So. I'm sure people have opportunities like this all the time, right? And you, maybe you hear about it. But I, I hear about just people not taking advantage of these opportunities, and I feel like it's fear. Uh, do, do you have any input on that? I would definitely say it's fear, but in, in fear of what is the next question. Mm, yeah. And, you know, I, what I've learned now that I've been doing coaching and whatnot in real estate is one of the biggest fears that people have is fear of success. Hmm. Like, what am because I going to do success, after this? Well, it comes with responsibility, does it not? It does, yeah. Yeah, I can, I can sympathize that. with that for sure. I, I, had, I had a lot of fear I, uh, uh, earlier in my life. I had attention deficit disorder, and I didn't know it. And I didn't know why I was so afraid. And uh, so I know what fear feels like, whether it's rational or not. And, yeah, it's like, oh, I'm going to have responsibility that I don't think I can handle. So, yeah, exactly. yeah I, I, uh, I understand that, but you didn't have that fear. I didn't at that point. I developed it later in life, believe it or not. Okay. But but uh, I didn't at the time. I guess I was young and, and figured, you know, what's the worst that could happen? I was I was a law-abiding citizen. I was, you know, I had background in law enforcement and well-trained by the military. And what I learned, in the, one of the things I learned in the military was read the rule, read the directions. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the, the government is very good. The U.S. government is very good about writing instructions for everything. Uh, same goes for the tax code. I mean, the, the, we are, governments are very good about, in a lot of cases, documenting a specific process. The problem is nobody ever bothers to read the rules, read the instructions, right? And this isn't even across borders. I mean, look at how often do men read instructions for anything, really? <laughs> That's right. People think they can just figure stuff out. You know, yeah, uh, I got this. Would you, <laughs> Hold my beer. Would you say that this like extends to take risks at, at times in your life where the, the downside is is kind of negligible? Like like you said, you're young. What if you lost that five thousand dollars in in the investment in the guns? What's the worst that would have happened to you? You would work a couple more years to to pay it back, right? 
Exactly. And, and it's funny because back then, $5,000 to me was a lot of money. Sure. Today, yeah. r- risking five grand, it's like, whatever. I do that every hour. Now, yeah, now you do. But, I, but I'm, I'm sure for a lot of people, five grand is still a lot of money. And also, I, but I think people are, are, are afraid of that. I think the, the financial loss, I, I, I get it. And if you have you know, a family or, or that 5000 was going to be for your rent, of course, you shouldn't do that. But you kind of had a, a nothing to lose position. That's true. That's absolutely true. And, and I've listened to a couple of your podcasts, and I, I know that you take the position of you should not invest with money that you need for anything, and also you should have uh, a buffer, right, especially when you're uh, buying real estate. I absolutely believe that. And, and more, more importantly is when it, to add to that buffer, be conservative. In other words, you know, as we get older and I'm at the age now, I'm 47, coming up on 48. And I can't take the same risks as I used to, to mm-hmm. the same, you know, to the same uh, large picture. In other words, if I took a, a hundred thousand dollar, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar loss right now, I'm too old to be able to effectively recover from that loss. That's right. I hate to say I'm too old because I don't feel old, but I, but the reality of it is it would be somewhat devastating. Even though I have passive income and things like that, the, it stops compounding, you see. Yes. What do you do to make sure that that doesn't happen in your, your case? So we're jumping ahead, uh, but just to answer that question. We are, but really it comes down to doing your due diligence. I mean, taking your time to, to do the homework and understand what you're doing, really to understand what's going on. And even back then, I understood that I read, you know, I had nothing else to do sitting in the arms room, twiddling my thumbs. I read the rules on how, how to import a firearm as a soldier. Mm-hmm. It was a book. It was about an inch thick at 100, 200 pages. I read the rules. I knew the rules better than the people that enforced them. Wow. So when customs questioned me, I could simply quote scripture and verse their rules. It's like, well, according to section three, paragraph four, sentence four, line five says that this, and this is compliant. And next question. And, and I just, they went through, they're like, well, he clearly has done his homework. Yeah. So, so let's just let him go. Know your stuff, right? Like that's Absolutely. probably less than one, less than one. I know uh, you recommend people read, uh, especially in the real estate uh, market, read up a bunch of books before you even start anything. You know, it's sad, but I'm amazed that libraries are still open anymore because I I'm convinced that people don't read to the, to the extent they used to. Well, have you seen the, I think it was on, uh, Maybe not Fallon, but uh, one of the other talk shows where they have, uh, they go, people lie on the street. They ask, what's the last book you re- read? Oh. And people couldn't even think of one. Like, oh, I mean, that's just so ha- sad. Like, War and Peace. Just think of a book. Like, or name it. No, they didn't even ask them about what they read. They said, name a book. <laughs> oh, that makes me sad inside. I name a book. You didn't hear the reading. You said the name. Name, it. like, name, wow. name a book, right? Like the Bible. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't even come. Uh, they just they had to admit that they don't read books and i just you know i have trouble reading because again attention deficit but i i read when i i have to and i do read books and i read them out loud you know there's other ways like you've said this too audio books i listen to audio books and and podcasts and and i'm making my own audio blogs so that people in my situation don't have to read if they don't want to there's so many different ways right Absolutely. But every one of those ways comes down to taking action, does it not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you, can find your, you can find your way. You can find the way that's easier. I think people look for obstacles uh, uh, as excuses. Would you, would you agree? I wouldn't say they necessarily, well. You, they don't look you, there for is, There's some truth to that. I mean, I guess the bright shining 
person you know, I am inside would like to say that can't be the case, <laughs> the but you're absolutely yeah. accurate. Uh, it is unfortunate, but it, it is the truth. Is that <laughs> Folks do go out of their way to find reasons for things to fail. Well, that's not going to work. Well, how do we know it's not going to work? Well, I just know it's not going to work. The vic- and, and, like they're victims before they even begin. And, and you know, as I, as I grow a little older, I'm, I'm learning you can try something, and if it doesn't work out, that's okay. Move on. Exactly. But at least give it a try, right? If it's something you're interested in, like if somebody wanted to get into real estate, you know, they could at least just try your stuff. And if they didn't like it, fine. But if they're interested, then give it a try. Or if they like what they're hearing, you know, if they go to your site or whatever, do a course. Well, we even give them a, a money back guarantee because at sure. the end of the day, it's not worth it to me to hang on to somebody's money if they're not happy. Some people simply won't do it in a lot of the courses that we give now, I require people to interview with me before they can take the course. I like Kind of like qualifying for college because I don't want your money. Yeah. I want you to get financially free. Everybody <laughs> should do that. Yeah, everybody should do that because then you'll get quality people that actually want to do it and not somebody who's going to just look to blame you for their failure. Let me tell you, though, people get really angry when you... When you Except when you say no, you, you, I guess you have to decline people all the time, don't you? I unfortunately do. I get to disqualify quite a few because I think it takes a certain recipe in, inside of yourself to succeed. Hard work is one of them, isn't it? Hard work, but define hard work. Not necessarily hard labor, No, but it takes the ability to be coachable, number one. I don't think you can learn a new task if you're not coachable. I mean, whether it be the book, you know, a book that's coaching you or a person that's coaching you, doesn't really matter, but for you to learn, take on new information, you have to be receptive to it. You have to open your mind to it. Mm-hmm. Let those barriers down. Absolutely. Okay, back to the $70,000 now. So did you have debt to pay off, or was this? did you have $70,000 now to your name? I had 70000 period. Great. So real estate, did that begin at that time, or were there other uh, uh, steps along the way? For me, it took... It took quite a ways to get to real estate, mm, but I did okay. get, when I got out of the army, I, um, I first went to work as a security guard. I thought I was going to be a police officer and I actually went to the police academy and graduated. So you didn't but, get uh, into the, uh, the police force? Not initially. I graduated. Then I finally get, got a job with the police department. Then <laughs> one night I'm on, I'm, I'm working in, um, um, plain clothes and some kid identified myself as a police officer and the kid started shooting at me. Oh, wow. And I thought, you know. This isn't my idea of a good time, and I think I was making 12 bucks an hour at the time. Oh, yeah, I mean, it, it is a kind of a thankless job, isn't it? Oh, it's terrible. It's, it's just an obnoxious job. It really is. Hmm. Um, so needless to say, I went ahead and uh, ended the situation. I didn't want any part of it. So I no longer did law enforcement, but that wasn't... My thing for me was when I started taking the time to speak to people and understand people better, the more I, under, the more I listened to people the more I started to pick up the trends of why they would th- things were a certain way. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. You get to understand sort of general population and why they are the way they are. Exactly. And the more you understand people and become a student of people, the more you can really accomplish just about anything has been my opinion. So that you mean uh, you can meet somebody and sort of assess them and then be able to talk to them in a certain way. Yeah, and be more more able to help them. And mm-hmm. really what it comes down to is, and this is kind of how I built my business, is the ability to help people. You know, when you have that ability to take the time to listen to folks and really take in what they're saying to you, well, that kind of changes the whole game, does it not? Yeah, that's a good point. I, and, you know, I, I like to think of myself as a as a helper, as a coach with people's finances and, and small business finances. 
yeah, it really is just about listening and helping people sort of get to where they want to go. Absolutely correct. How did you start doing that? Well, I started listening to a lot of self-help books and things like that. But one of the things in this book, and probably everybody listening to this episode has heard this or heard or read this book, but it's how to win friends and influence people. Hmm. And there's one particular section of that book that blows, that blew me away and just rings true to me today. People don't really, people do things. And I think they use Mother Teresa as an example that Mother Teresa does the things that Mother Teresa does, not so much because of who she is, but how that act makes her feel. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't take away from any of the good work that Mother Teresa has done, but it does lend itself to the reason, the origin of why she did it. So when you start to think about, well, what would normally be called selfish, when that becomes a place of reality, well, now you can look at things at a whole different perspective. Hmm. That's Dale Carnegie, right? It is, yeah, Dale Carnegie. So you're saying you're doing it to feel good, but you're helping people, so it's okay. Exactly. Yeah, that's... Exactly. And I mean, that is kind of how, how it goes. Why do you think people resist this? Well, I think for one, people question generosity as far as the, the receivers, so to speak. They, they question it. They're, they're not mm. quite sure. And then society has taught us. I mean, all the lessons we've learned is from children to adulthood have taught us that, you know, if you are, that selfish is a bad thing, right? If you're selfish, if you're, you're focused inward, that's a bad thing. Yeah. Know, shame on you. You're not, you know, you've got to share with your brother, share with your sister, share with the little kid down the street. You got to share, share, share. And the problem that we run into, though, in society as humans is that a lot of folks share to a fault. They share to the point to where they're actually eroding people around them because they become a liability, not an asset, if that makes sense. Yeah, they're they're sharing to their own expense. And meanwhile, exactly. you can have the best of both worlds by helping people, but figuring out how to make money at the same time. That's correct. Which is where you're, where you headed. Exactly. Exactly. How'd you get Gotta started? Gotta be a win-win. Win-win or no deal. For me, it was, I, I, it sounds corny, but I read the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So Robert Kiyosaki, who is, uh, uh, he's still alive? He is still alive. Okay. But he's not really... Uh, touring and giving speeches, or is he? He is, yeah, he's okay. still out there. Still okay, so he's still, you can kicking. go still see Robert Kiyosaki do a, a presentation or a keynote somewhere? He actually does a podcast now, believe it or not. Oh, it's called Rich, Rich Dad Radio. Okay, well, I, I, I should have looked into that. I just assumed because, um, you know, you go the Rich Dad seminars are all over the place and it's never really him, right? No, actually he sold the rights to Rich Dad Inc. Uh, that became Legacy, so the real estate guru thing and that's a whole different company i see i see okay so he he tours on uh, as himself and of course he wrote the books he wrote several books right he wrote yeah, yeah i think he's got nine books out now and yeah, he's got okay. his, his uh advisors have books out garrett sutton and all those guys and i gotta tell you read those i don't care if you're gonna do real estate or not because a lot of those books aren't have nothing to do with real estate hmm. they have to do with uh, financial mindset about building wealth right right and I think there's not a lot of us out there that are really talking about financial mindset if you think about it. For example, we, in America, a society exists, like I said earlier, that if we can finance it, then so be it. If we're approved, that means we must be able to afford it. Oh, that's so so upsetting. It <laughs> is. And it's, but it's reality. It, it, you can't take away from the fact that it's reality. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it keeps me up at night sometimes thinking about it. And a good friend of mine, uh, his name is Todd Fleming, he, 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 he says his goal is to wake up every morning and to end worldwide financial suffering. That's a and he's fantastic doing that by, goal. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's, a, it's a heavy one, but 
he's doing that by educating folks, right? Mm-hmm. And he's come up with systems and ways to educate people in snippets because, let's be honest, as Ameri- in this world, everybody has a short attention span. It's got to be bite-sized. It has to be. They say what the average attention span of an adult to the, in today's day and age is that of a, is less than a goldfish. Again, I can relate because of the ADD, but right. yeah, but I, I, you know, I had to get over that, and still I adjusted my life in ways to be able to, to still do stuff by bite sizing it myself. But yeah, you know, that's it's. Uh, some people don't have ADD and they have that problem. Well, most people don't have ADD and still have that problem. I hate to tell you, it's yeah. it's become epidemic proportions. So. You know, getting the ability to take in information slowly and surely, and like you said, you have ADD. I have been uh, diagnosed with that as well. I've gone through some therapies that have helped me get through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I can sit down and devour a book and actually retain the information. Yeah, I'm hoping to uh, get there. Get there one day. I mean, I can I can do it. It's just it's still hard. But yeah, uh, yeah, no, that's that's good to hear. So by taking in the information and more importantly, applying the information and realizing. And you got to think about what's on the other end of this. You know, I can do all this, and this, but this is a, a struggle. Mm-hmm. I'm going through an exercise with my students right now, and it's for me, but it's also for my students. And I don't want to ever ask anybody to do something that I wouldn't do myself, right? So I'm going through this method to where I'm, I'm highlighting all the expenses in my bank statements, both personal and professional, in categories, in three different categories, red, green, and blue, and, and which the red ones are the ones that I absolutely have to have. Those are my living expenses. Yep. I can't get around those. Actually, I'm sorry. Those are the green. And the blue are questionable, and the reds are things that are just garbage. For example, I pay $148 a month for a membership at a country club. Yeah. Um, I, I justified that because I wanted a place to go entertain clients. Well, I don't entertain clients there. I wind up going everywhere else but there for whatever reason. But you, you have the available cash flow to cover it, so it's not you know breaking the bank for you, so it stays there. Right. And I've paid for this for over a year now and it's up for renewal. I'm thinking I'm not going to renew. And then I justified it to my, but the the story we keep telling ourselves in our head is, well, I have this reason and that reason and this reason. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. The other one was, well, I'm going to go swim in the pool. Okay. Maybe I've done that 10 times. So I paid $1,400 to swim in a pool 10 times. That doesn't make any sense. You know, a couple more, a couple more years, I could just pay for a pool and have it in my backyard. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that that is a good point. I mean, right, so. People don't audit like this, uh, do they? I mean, we 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 recommend everybody tracks their spending, and you can track it. And and if it doesn't exceed your income, or you have money left to you took care of saving and investing already, then it's your money to spend, right? But maybe you could reach your goals quicker if you did more of an audit like you're doing. Yes, and that's where the problem begins. Is that yeah, we're taught to audit, and and I do it. And you audit, but you're basically what you're doing is you're saying everything is correct or everything's not correct. Mm. But you're not going into does this make sense or yeah. does this not make sense? It's a whole different conversation with yourself, right? And it takes time and experience to determine whether things are valuable to you or not. Exactly, and and for me, it it was I wasted a whole year of paying for the the uh, country club. I don't I don't play golf anymore. I haven't played golf in twenty years, so I could swim in the pool. I'm going well. There's fourteen hundred bucks and. The fact that I can afford it is irrelevant. It, it yeah. comes down to I could have reinvested that money into something else. You could have bought those uh, cheap pieces of land that uh, Mark See? was talking about. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Or, you know, I could have bought, who knows? I mean, that would have paid uh, a year's worth of jet ski payments. I mean, whatever. Sure. Other things that you actually, and because you enjoy 
and you get value from the, your desk key. But here's the interesting thing through that process is it was painful for me, not because, but the discovery wasn't painful. What was just, what was painful is the self-discipline to say no to myself mm. because I've worked very hard. I've made very good money all my life and I've just most of my life and I've, and I feel that I deserve nice things. So I feel in a way as if I'm denying myself this. And I think this is becoming a common phenomenon. That's what the media is telling us that, well, you can't deny yourself this. You deserve this. Well, in well, a way, don't you, you deserve whatever you feel that you deserve. Where, where do you draw the line? How do you decide in a way, if you're covering all of your bases and you're saving or what about something, I mean, you evaluate whether you enjoy it or not. And you, you did, that's how you made the decision. Well, that, and I add logic into the mix. Is it logical for me to continue to pay $148 a month to another organization of which I take no advantage whatsoever? Does that make good logical sense? Yeah, it doesn't. And, and uh, yeah, you're right. If it was something that you did enjoy, then you would have kept it. Yeah. Absolutely. If I play golf or if I was going there every week or going there heck every month, then it would be worth it. But I'm not, so I don't. And, it, it, of course, the whole conversation changes if you actually couldn't afford any of this stuff. That's, it's way different. Even if you do enjoy it but you couldn't afford it, then we have to have another conversation. We do, which is a whole bigger conversation. Is, is that I feel the, the denial is even stronger for the folks that can't afford it. I have people that have signed up for, that have been some of my masterminds and whatnot. When I sit, one of the very first things we do with them is sit down with them and look at their, their personal finances before we even bring them into our programs. Perfect. We have to understand where are you at? Because some folks, the last thing they need to do is learn how to invest in real estate right now because they don't have the financial intelligence to be able to prosper because any money they make, they will quickly squander and be right back to where they started. Yeah. We have to scrape the house before we can paint it. We don't paint over the, the peeling paint, right? But they see real estate as maybe a, some kind of quick fix, don't they? They do. Uh, very, very normally logical people, uh, you would think, would not see things that way do. I mean, to a great degree. And uh, everybody thinks, of course, like, uh, I'll just flip a house for whatever. And you were in flipping for a little bit, right, early yeah, on? Yeah, I was. Yep, I absolutely was. And uh, yeah, that's the quick fix. And is it, it, can it happen that way, or is it just a, a, a myth? Under no circumstances can it happen that way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and this, and you flipped that? how many houses, by the way? You've, you've flipped a lot of houses in your... Over 100 yeah. at this point. And, and I've lost count. And so when someone's like, oh, yeah, look, that, I'll just buy that thing, flip it up, and I'll make a quick five grand before I even turn it, before I even have to pay the down payment or whatever it is I have to pay. No, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> and these You'll are the stories. Yeah, so the, are, are people just making up these stories? Or are these just the lucky ones that we hear? I think a lot of it is they're making it up. I mean, how many people run out and celebrate their failures? Yeah, Not yeah, very nobody common, does, right? Yeah. Good um, point. What, great selling point when you can go out and say, look what I did this. I'm a, I completely screwed this up. So therefore I'm now qualified to teach you true. But, um, besides that, you don't see a whole lot of people getting on board with uh, advertising their mistakes. So you don't flip houses anymore, right? I absolutely uh, do not. No. You know, and what, and why is that? Well, first of all, in the U S you're taxed based on how you earn your income. That's a very, uh, relevant way of how they determine what your tax rate is. So flipping houses happens to be taxed at the highest rate allowed by law. Okay. So, so there are no tax advantages. It actually is, there are tax consequences to flipping houses, as I found out the hard way. Interesting. And so you're making money, but you're paying a lot of tax, and it didn't seem like the most efficient way? It's kind of like running up a ladder where somebody has greased the rungs. Yeah, <laughs> you'll, get a couple, you'll get a couple, but you're going to also smack your face slamming down the ladder because eventually you're going to lose traction and start sliding backwards. And that's what happens. <laughs> 
Okay. So, and, and of course, I keep getting ahead of myself, uh, but you read uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and mm-hmm. learned about real estate. I did. And what I, what I learned was the basic principle of all I really needed to do is okay to do real estate. I had that part right. Where I goofed up was taking a perfectly good cash flowing asset and selling it. Okay. So you like, what can you talk about, say your first experience, like after the, do you, did you keep that 70,000 from the guns and just keep it in the bank for a rainy day or? Oh no, I had no financial discipline. Oh, you spent all of that. (laughs) Yeah. If I made 70, I spent 72. I was that kid. (laughs) Okay. Okay. But, but like, uh, yeah. So what was your first sort of uh, real estate uh, profitable experience or don't talk about the non profitable one? Well, the first one, non-profitable, was we were in the middle of a flip, and this was pretty much the one that, that got me out of flipping for good, is that we we got into to hot water with, we had three partners, and, and two of us were good to go, and the third one, we thought he was a licensed contractor. In the U.S., you're supposed to have a general contractor's license. Okay. He was a friend of ours. We never even thought to check the records. He had a number on the side of his truck. Who knew? Oh, Big wow. crews running everywhere. It turns out he was not licensed, and that he was actually using our money to buy materials for other people's jobs. Oh, no. And it became a real nightmare. So long story short, he left the country and left with a quarter million dollars of our money. Holy crap. Yeah. So that kind of shied me away from things. And to add insult to injury, the city at the time, uh, code enforcement came in and hit us with a stop work order because when he got over to England to basically throw us off the hunt from chasing him, he called and reported himself for being an unlicensed contractor. Oh, yeah. So now salt in the wound. Absolutely. So the, the city shut us down, gave us what they call a red tag. And um, based on that, we were out of business for the time being. So my partner and I had to finish that house, big 3,000 square foot Victorian home, had to finish that house by ourselves on the weekends. Mm. Uh, you know, one nail at a time, essentially, to get that project done. It was quite a challenge. That's for, that's for sure. Well, where, uh, where'd you get the seed money to start doing that in the first place? He was an electrician. I was a realtor, and literally, he would go fix somebody's electrical and make a couple hundred bucks, and I would go sell a house and make a couple thousand bucks, and we would pool their money and go buy paint and drywall. That's how we did it. Wow! I mean, originally, before your partner took off, where did that money come from? It came from the partner that was the electrician. Oh, he put all okay. his his money in, so it was we were in a bad bad spot. And is that how, like, a lot of times how you will how how somebody will get started, or how you got started by partnering with someone who has money to invest? Yes, absolutely. That's the way we, st- we do it today. But the difference is, is that when we invest now, we're investing for the long term. So yeah. that really, in my opinion, takes a lot of the risk element out of it. So no flipping. You, you, no. You're buying property and you're renting it out? That's correct. We buy it, fix it up, and then hold it for long-term growth. And you know, with income property, when you increase, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but when you increase the value of the property, or when you increase the rent, the income that the property generates, you exponentially increase the value. That's what's different yeah. between that and flipping houses. Well, so you got burned bad, bad, and that and that was your last was the last time flipping. Then is that what you said? It was. That was the last time flipping. We we lost money on that deal. Um, we had a lot of wins. Don't get me wrong. We had a ton of wins, but I didn't actually. I, I take that back. That was not the last time flipping. I did. I broke my partner and I went our separate ways. That was pretty traumatizing for both of us. Yeah. I went on and continued to flip. But what I did the second time around was I, I would get the houses at a discount. I would fix them up, and then I put tenants in them and let, let people rent them out. Okay, so you, you're sort of flip and hold. Correct. I'd buy them and hold them, and, and I was only holding them for a year, and then I was going to sell them 12 months later because back then 
in America, the housing market was increasing in value by 25% per year, you what, can imagine. Okay, what year is this then? This would have been 05, 04, okay. 05. Okay, so yeah. we're heading towards uh, something. Right, well, <laughs> I was a uh, lot younger then, and uh, so in 05, yeah, I was a lot younger. You're, you're and, my uh, age. Yeah, and I thought I was invincible, so I thought I would go ahead and, and just sell off the entire inventory a year later and make... 25% more money, and that's exactly what I did. Okay. And I sat down like a proud peacock on a big old fat bankroll, and I spent a couple of weeks in, down in Key West, Florida, hanging out and drinking beer and, and eating seafood, and life was grand, and then I filed my taxes. Oh. And uh, I filed, I didn't realize that I needed to use different forms because I was now selling real estate, right? Yeah. Then that's <laughs> and when you why, found out. Yeah. Why would I pay, the, pay a, a CPA all that money to do my taxes when I could just do it myself? I've heard that a lot. <laughs> yeah. So the 1040 EZ form, which is the basic form in the U.S. where you fill out your taxes, it's like a one pager. You that didn't get to really... use that. Well, I did use that. You see. Oh, I see. And, and they unfortunately, looked at it. yeah, the IRS didn't agree with with that, and my charm didn't really help in that situation either. So <laughs> <laughs> I think they have some kind of a charm barrier. They, they do. Yeah. yeah. Zero personality whatsoever. I, <laughs> but uh, so I got a six-figure uh, tax bill. Oh, wow. And yeah, uh, sorry, was... a six-figure tax bill on how much uh, income, how many figures? On, uh, on six figures? On six figures. <laughs> okay, yeah. So yeah. that's not good. No. And, uh, I, of course, it was all behind and late and penalized. So now they started hitting me with interest payments. Uh, interest were, and, and penalties, penalties were yeah. Yeah, in the about 30% oh. range on the balance. So I was in a panic. I mean, it, it cleaned me out. I gave, I basically had to give them everything I had. Um, and I had to go get a real job. Okay. Uh, wow. What? So, well, I started, I got into the trucking business short term and I had had the trucking business going for a while actually at that time. And when the tax bill hit, I was a little delayed in getting the tax bill, but I wound up working for the federal government, uh, the U S <laughs> government. Yeah. Okay. After, after Not, giving them all of your money. Right, not with the IRS, but I branch. wanted <laughs> exactly a different branch of government. I needed a full, I needed something full time and dependable. Mm. So I went to work for the for the U.S. government, and I was working on a, as a a mariner at, on a government research ship. Wow, um, which is the, yeah. So big change in in, in story, right? Yeah, because you were in the army, not in the Marines, right? Correct. I was in the army, not in the navy, and the Marines. Yeah. So I I uh, I get out there and I get the job, and what I've discovered that. You could get a job with the U.S. government and be a superstar if you basically just show up. <laughs> you, you, you don't really have to do anything. You just have to show up. Oh, so, man. <laughs> and you know how to do that. Yeah. So being, you know, showing up early, which was shocking to them, and, uh, <laughs> and not stealing and doing what I'm told and, and, oh, and doing man. a good job, I was promoted really, really fast. Okay. So my income tripled inside of two years. Wow. Okay. But this is this anything compared to the income you were making um, in real estate? Oh, it was far more than the income I was making in real estate because really? I could count on it. You see, it was consistent. Oh, okay. But here's the problem thing I didn't account on. One more time, again, now I'm earning this six-figure paycheck again. So I'm being taxed through the ceiling again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, one, one branch of government's giving it to me, the other one's taking it away. <laughs> Man. <laughs> yeah. So at that point, I had to I I dove back into Rich Dad Poor Dad. I I bought the book when it first came out. I think I got through about the first chapter. My in my mind, I said, 
this isn't for me. I put it down and didn't pick it up again for years and years and years. I wish that wouldn't have happened, but can't go back and, and do that all over again. So I read the book the second time and I was like, oh, I need to change how I earn my money. If I change how I earn my money, I can change my entire wealth plan and actually, you know, have one. What a concept. Wait, sorry, were you still spending your all your money at this point or had you kind of gotten better at that? I had gotten better at that. I gotten a lot better than that. I got I had gotten good credit and uh, I was being responsible with money and but I still, even though I had gone that achieved all that through reading the Rich Dad books and mm-hmm. other books and like Sue Zorman and all that good stuff. And yeah. Couldn't figure out where my money was going. I mean, here okay. I'm working myself to death. I'm I'm doing everything right. I'm paying my bills. I'm very responsible with what I'm spending now, which is unlike anything I've ever done before. Where's my money going? And I and I looked back up to that top line and where my money was going as I was paying the government in taxes. So your the net money you were getting didn't seem worth the amount of work you were putting into it. No, at the time I was working on the average of fourteen to fifteen hours a day, hmm. seven days a week. I worked an eight month consecutive stint with no days off. Out, out in uh, in the in water, the sea. yeah, wow. out in the ocean. So, it, was it worth it? No, hmm. absolutely not. And. I got, you know, I did help me get really good at budgeting and during that time. I got really financially responsible, but I had to solve that tax problem. Yeah. You know, and all roads led back to the same thing. You can play the stock market, but again, that's not tax favored, right? I could get into investment vehicles that are quote unquote tax deferred. But when it comes to tax, I don't care what country you're from. Why would you want to possibly defer tax to a later time? That's a good point. It's because it's just going to hit you later. And worse, in any country in the history of man, has there ever been a tax that's gone down? If you save as much as you want, uh, often it's the same or higher. Yeah, people like to think it's going to be lower in, in quote-unquote retirement, but if you do things right, it's going to be higher. It's going to be higher, yeah. Yeah, so we've got tax deferment is kind of the great American scam here in the U.S. Oh, we and, got it too. Yeah, I'm sure you do, and and. People are not, instead, change how you earn your income. Yeah. Because every government writes their tax laws based on what the needs of the, of the country. In other words, if your country needs jobs, which every country does, they usually, any country you go to will give tax incentives if you are somebody who provides jobs. Because you're, don't, you're basically providing to the economy. You're bringing money to the economy. And then the government will make their money in the form of sales tax or property taxes, whatever type of tax they're going to get, off of you following their directions. You see how that works? Mm. And that doesn't matter what border you're standing behind. It applies anywhere because that's just basic economics. It's like it's all intentional. They have this plan <laughs> to take they our money. And I mean, hey, if they spent it all on great stuff, I would be totally fine with that. They're just not very good at that, are they? No, they're not. Well, government is, you know, it's a business. And a lot of people don't realize that government is a business. It's we, get, business. we get health care, which is kind of nice. I have to say it is nice. So I don't mind. I don't mind that that's included. If I have to pay a little bit more, uh, you know, just to be able to go in and have something happen and not get a $15,000 bill is pretty good. That is pretty good. Kudos to Canada for that. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you guys have talked about it, I'm sure, uh, over the, over the years and I'm, uh, you got you got some things happening, but no, it's uh, it never seems to be a favorite of uh, the American general public to have free health care because it, it means more taxes, isn't it? It does, and it also you know I, I think the lobbyists have something to do with that. They they bicker back and forth in in, in Washington, and 
and who knows? And I'm it's not, not <laughs> free. It's not free, is it? As we say we have free health care, it's included, and it, only because we're used to paying whatever level of taxes we're paying. That's Absolutely. the only reason it's free to us. So it's a, it's a, a good thing to remember, I guess, if we're talk, trying to compare the countries. But then you're still saying you're paying too much tax in the States. Well, absolutely. And really, it comes down to, I don't believe I pay too much tax anymore. I learned it. I learned how taxation works from a very basic sense, because at the end of the day, it's not very complex. They write a book. All countries do. It's their tax code. If you do this, we will tax you for that. If you want to, if you don't want to pay tax, do these things. So you found found the place that had the lowest tax. I mean, found the place in the book. Yep. The things that have the lowest tax, the things that you can do that that generate the lowest amount of tax obligation. If you simply just do those things, you're good to go. It's that simple. And that's exactly what I started doing. And that's rental income? That's rental income. Rental income is the lowest taxed income out there. And I got to look this up in Canada because I'm not sure that that's the case. But it I, is in the States. This is federal yeah. federal tax? This is federal tax. So anybody in the States, that's your lowest. That's, that's inter- very interesting and good to know. Absolutely. I believe in Canada the same applies. Passive income yeah. is amongst the lowest taxes available passive income, where active income is always taxed higher. Active income is higher. And our dividend income is, is, uh, is much lower. And capital gains are taxed at 50%. But I haven't actually explored rental income, so I'm going to have a look at that for sure. Yeah, generally they you know passive passive income they can be putting that that money that's just money is getting infused into the system without really that doesn't quote unquote depend on you. Yeah. So if you think of it, it's quite logical. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. So you just start. You're still working on the boat, though. Still working on the boat, and I decided that if I could, if it was even possible, to replace my income, my government income, with real estate then I was going to give it six months because one of the reasons there I had to, for me just to not have to pay so much tax uh, in the U S they have what they call comp time. If you work for the government, which means if instead of taking overtime, you could take a uh, compensatory time or, or compensatory time. So if, if you, if they owe me an hour overtime, um, they, I can take an hour paid vacation. Okay. So I had accumulated uh, about seven months of paid vacation. <laughs> Cause you're working 14, 15 hour days. Exactly. And uh, I decided to capitalize on that. I said, okay, well, here we are. I'm going to go ahead and take my time and take it now. <laughs> so they weren't quite pleased with that, but they really didn't have anything to say about it because, you know, it they was my the, time. They wrote the book. <laughs> right. If the government, the government can't argue their own book. That's true. So I did take that time and I came home and got invested in real estate again. And the first thing I did really to make the money is I learned how to leverage other people's resources. Mm. And when I got focused on that, see, because if I focused on what I have, well, that wasn't going to get me very far. And how, and how do you do that? Like how, like you're talking about, uh, finding investors and convincing them to buy property with you. Well, for me, I found people that don't have the same skills that I do. Mm. In other words, you have certain skills. I have certain skills. If you put us together on a project, let's say they stick us on a desert Island. Yeah. Right. I was in the army. I'm pretty good at uh, building shelter and, and hunting food and things like that. Let's say you're really good at organizing and, and coming up with systems and plans. Yeah, I'm going to die by myself. Right. And I could myself too. I'd wear myself out. Yeah, right, and good work. point. But together we would be unstoppable. Yeah. And so that's you, the exact same thing we do with investing. Exact same thing. Is that what Robert Kiyosaki talks about too? Yep, absolutely. Is mm. the leverage of the resources of those around you. I, I, I admit I, I've been aware of the books for so long and I went to a seminar, but I never have read them. 
Oh, yeah, I, I, but I knew I know the key is you know building wealth instead of working for somebody else, right? Absolutely, but it's about leveraging the, leverage, the resources yeah. of others. Okay, yeah, the leveraging is uh, something that I've never really uh, dove into. So this was this is the key because you're right. No, you know, nobody, you don't have lots of money. Somebody has lots of money and they don't know what to do with it. Exactly. Hmm. That's when the game changer starts. And this is how, and I think you already mentioned this, but this is how you. You teach people too. Exactly. Exactly right. I teach people to leverage the resources of those around them. And we start that process by documenting with a database, probably the most important thing you can have in business. I don't care whether you're in the retail business or, or real estate or you're digging ditches for a living. doesn't matter. Is to have a database of everyone you know and keep records on. I mean, there's a reason why Facebook keeps records on everybody, right? Because data is power. Yeah, so much more today too. Everything. Oh yes, it's uh, with the ability to analyze everything with artificial intelligence, and everything's learning. So the more that we have, the better. I mean, that's my opinion, I guess, because uh, I have a view of this is all going to help everyone. I hope, <laughs> but it is a little bit Big Brother as well. It so is. Uh, hopefully, we can find the balance between the two. I guess I'm very open with my with my data. Um, and in, in the, in the, like, like I just said that in the guys that it will be used for good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds right. really naive when you say it out loud, actually. Oh, I, <laughs> yeah, I suppose, but I can't say I disagree. I'm kind of the same. I got the same mindset. It's like, well, you know, if they really want it, they're going to take it anyway. I mean, that, it's not that's like I it, keep right? it from, it's either that or give back my iPhone, which we know that's not happening. So, well, yeah, the only, <laughs> the only ones who are really protected are the Luddites and, uh, you know, or. I guess a flip phone is still someone that, something that a Luddite might use. Right. But, but no, like, you got to avoid technology completely. I just say, if you're not doing that, just embrace all of it. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's a little extreme, but, but you're right. <clears throat> it, it, all, it all helps, right? And, and uh, you keep all of this information, so you make everybody kind of put that together and say, hey, who would you, like, partner on this kind of stuff? Who would be interested? Exactly. You re take the time to figure out who has things that you could use. For hmm. example, I have a friend that's an attorney. My attorney would, would like to invest in real estate someday. I also know that he has services that could be beneficial to my business. Yeah. So when I find the opportunities, I'll say, hey, uh, let's we'll use Sean, for example. Hey, Sean, I need some legal help on this. And instead of you sending me a bill, how about, uh, and it could be simple as, as negotiating with another attorney, right? That would cost three, $5,000, whatever it winds up being. Yeah. Sean, how about we work something out to where you trade your legal services and I will give you an equity position in this deal. Great. So now you don't have any legal fees for the deal. Correct. Okay. And then somebody else, maybe somebody actually has the, the down payment money and you can trade them something. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And that's how it begins. Or, or by having uh, a lawyer involved and, you know, having that credibility, somebody might be more willing to put five grand of their money in. Exactly. See, when people look at me, they also look at my team. Mm -hmm. And what I've done really, really well is I've surround my, surrounded myself with quality people. You know, I've got great property management teams. I've got great attorneys that are well-known. And when you put those people around you, you automatically look better. This is a great general lesson. You know, re it real is. estate or not, it's... It doesn't matter what business you're in. You have skills. I mean, that, you know, admittedly, I, and I hope people don't think that they need 
to be able to do all of this stuff when they're when they're 21 years old you need experience in yes. something because what are you going to tra- like you said when you're nine or ten or twelve <laughs> you're like give me a job and they're like you have no experience exactly so like that's what i think a lot of uh, you know either high school graduates or even university grads think oh i'm going to go and do this now and then they do fall flat i had that happen to me as an adult i was told i had a rough part part of my life where i wasn't making much money and i went to go apply for a job waiting tables. And the manager laughed at me and said, you're overqualified. What does that mean? Oh. I need a job. Well, you, he goes, you're not, you can't wait tables. Dude, I sell, I remember what it was. I, I sell apartment buildings for a living. How could that be? Doesn't qualify me. I can sell it and order of fries with that. Don't worry about it. That's a weird reaction because they, it's, it's not like they have tons of permanent employees anyway. If you exactly. just need to pick up a job and you would have done it really well, who are they to judge that you have too much experience at something that's only going to make you better? I, I, I totally agree with you. It's a, it's a weird thing. The logic there was, is that I wouldn't stick around very long. I'm like, is there such a thing as a career waiter? Yeah, that's it. The, the turnover <laughs> is the highest in the, in the, in the restaurant business. Exactly. It's, it's like, okay, if it was a logic for a permanent, like, you know, a, a government a, a job as you, you've worked, then sure. maybe they could be like, oh yeah, you're just going to take off and go work at a bar or something. But, right. but yeah, I love, I love the lesson because it's, it's so important for everyone to know. And, and then, you know, we avoid networking or, you know, whatever we do to, to think uh, we got to, I just got to get a nine to five job and sit in my cubicle by myself. Oh, that makes me sad to hear. No, right. Cause I think, okay, maybe hopefully not anymore, but they teach us this. They teach us this as the responsible thing to do in entrepreneurship and networking and, uh, going out and making a business and creating something that doesn't exist yet, these are all irresponsible things. Well, we are taught that risk is a bad thing. Yeah, that's, I, I and, and I used to think that way too. So did I. <laughs> it's the way I was raised. We have to, we have to change, who, who's, in, who's in charge of, of teaching us this? It, it's our, I guess, is it our parents who had uh, safe jobs? Well, I can give you an example of that. My mother growing up, and I love my mother to death, um, but she's 75 years old. She's been a realtor for 50, 40 years, right? Mm. And she's essentially doesn't have any money. She's, she doesn't have enough money to retire, yet I'm financially free. So the formula is passive income, which is taxed at a low rate, and using other people's money, well, like right. a, or leverage. <laughs> using other people's money sounds a little negative. But yeah, a lot, like you know, for their benefit, right? People invest and they, and they get benefit. See, that's the perception. That's what that what you just said keeps people out. That sounds a little negative. You're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, you're right. And a lot of folks, it does. And nothing wrong with that. It's just a change of mindset. And you're at the, the flip side of that is, how many people, Bo, do you know that probably shouldn't be trusted with their own checkbook? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, but have money. Right? I'm trying to help them with that. That's <laughs> Exactly. Is it reasonable to think that you could probably do better with my hundred grand than I can probably. Mm-hmm. So that said, if you took a small portion of that as a fee, right, or you are allowed to use that money to both yield me a return and make yourself some money, is that okay? Well, it's in essence what a lot of people, the model of a lot of people's jobs, it is exactly. okay, right? You're either you're helping people make money, more money, or you're helping them manage their money better, or you're helping them by providing them a service that makes their life better and charging for it. That's in a way, that's what you're doing. People just exactly. see this as um, people see real estate. It's this perception of, of risk. 
It does because it's a fear of the unknown. And uh, I know you've talked about this in, in episodes of your show. The There are cons to this. Like there are people who shouldn't do this. There are a lot of people that should not do this. What's the what's the what's one of the main things that you need to be able to succeed at this? I would say integrity. And can you elaborate on that? Well, it's very easy. What, you, what people will find is that they get involved in real estate investing. It becomes really easy to find people that have money but don't necessarily have the the incentive or the knowledge or the comfort level to invest independently. Mm. So once people realize that you are somebody that that understands how to make money in real estate, which is, and, and you understand that it's not rocket science, finding the money is not going to be hard at all. However, uh, because you are dealing with people that are not necessarily sophisticated in all matters of real estate, it is very easy for people to be taken advantage of. I see. And a lot of what they, we call them in the, in the U.S. bad actors, that is actually a legal definition, is a bad actor. Mm. They, they tend to take advantage of things. And sometimes it's simply by carelessness. Going back to what I talked about before, getting your money right. You were talked about that episode of mine in my podcast. You got to have that financial intelligence. You have to have that financial discipline. There's a lot of people out there that have terrible credit and are bankrupt that are leveraging other people's money into investments. And my thought process is, wait a minute. If you are broke and destitute and have bad credit, you shouldn't be handling somebody else's money. No. Because you clearly cannot handle your own. You got to get your own house in order, no pun intended. You're absolutely correct. It's the same thing with investment, uh, with advisors, with financial planners, is there is a handful of people who have given uh, the industries a bad reputation. Yes. How, how do you make sure that somebody you're dealing with is chock full of integrity? Well, number one, I would want to talk to other people they've done business with. Sure. But not not necessarily people that they recommend. No. Like, go talk <laughs> yeah. to Johnny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then they just uh, pick up the phone and change their voice, right? Right. They gave me references. Have you ever had anybody give you a reference? So they said, run screaming. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of folks will complain. So doing a, I don't really believe a lot of what's online. So I recommend doing, start with a criminal history check. Mm, okay. Uh, that's available in every every demographic. Check a do criminal history search. You can usually get them done for either free or for a fee, depending on where you are and where you look. Um, but check their criminal history. I would want to see some sort of, I want to see their tax returns. I would want to see that they're filing taxes. And you will provide your tax returns to people? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, if it came down to it and somebody asked for them, I sure would. And I've actually had people ask for them more than once. You might not no need them as much uh, now, of course, because you... You're, no. You have the advantage now of, of being a public figure. Correct, um, but I'd still do it on request. I mean, I have no problem doing it. I'm, I'm not a politician. <laughs> yeah, I, I <laughs> I'm not guess, running for office. <laughs> but we still but, have this thing where, where uh, our salaries and what we make and stuff is not, it's sort of taboo to share that stuff. It is, but in my mind, I come from a military background. In the military, it's public record, so yeah. we, I, don't, I don't think that way. For okay, me, it's yeah. like, yeah, you want to see my returns? That's cool. Yeah, like I don't mind either. I, I, I like to tell my clients, especially because they're trusting me. You know, we're signing this big 11 page agreement that I made. And exactly. uh, I want them to, to know, right? What I, where right. I have my money invested and I'm drinking the Kool Aid, my own Kool Aid at least, not telling everybody to do something that I wouldn't do. You know, one of the things that I do for my investors is we're talking about larger sums of money. We're into, you know, starting at 50,000 going on up yeah. to in, well into the seven figures is I give them a life insurance policy on me. Interesting. That I, I pay for in like the event of my death. One, not, not a figurative life insurance. No, an actual life insurance policy. Okay. 
in the event I'm killed, I die. Yeah. They would not only be protected from what they invested, but they would have more options available to them. Well, that makes sense because you are the asset in this case. I, I mean, I, you're like the asset will be the property, but you're the, right, right. you're the knowledge asset. I'm the point person. I mean, that's the beauty of having a team is I've got lots of moving parts, but I do sit at the top of the, of the food chain and I'm, I'm calling the shots. So number one, they would have to replace me with somebody that is going to come with a fee. Mm-hmm. So if I died, they would have probably have to hire some sort of an intermediary to come in and, and assess the situation, whether it be a forensic accountant, an attorney, whatever it may be, some sort of a lawyer or legal thing, all that is going to come with expense. So to ease that burden and to ease the investor's mind, I simply offer them a life insurance policy and problem solved. Wow. That's, uh, I, I've never heard of that. It's very unique. And of course, you know, who wouldn't, who wouldn't trust that, especially if it's legit insurance documents that they're looking at. Exactly. Exactly. So I feel like I've taken up a lot of your time already, but I want you to to tell everyone, like, how do they figure out how to do all this stuff? Like, what are your resources? What are some free ones, some paid ones? I've got lots of free resources. Actually, I've got, I'm uh, full of free resources and very few paid resources. So good for you guys. Uh, You can go to cashflowguys, that's cashflowguys.com. I'll put the links in the notes too, so no worries. And uh, you can, so you go to my website, my podcast is on there. There's links to my YouTube channel. You can search my name or, or my uh, brand Cashflow Guys on YouTube, and I've got lots of free information on YouTube. Are you almost at 130 episodes? Did I uh, like look at that right uh, for the podcast? I am, yeah. Yeah, I'm coming up there. Actually, I'm, I just recorded 131 this morning. So Wow. That's so good. I'm, I'm at 30. This is Well, this will probably be 37 or something like that. So, it gets, uh, it gets funner. I got a, I got some catching up to do, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it's uh, okay. It's a, it's a, it's a journey, but it's well worth it. No, the podcast is great resource. Like I, I, real estate or not, everybody should listen to, there's so many different topics and you have different guests on and it's so, I really enjoy it. Uh, it, the few that I've listened to, uh, it's probably seven or eight or something like that. It's really a documented process of my learning. Yeah, that's and that's I, isn't that what a podcast in a way if you you do a lot of solo podcasting, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think of something like what is subject to? So I'm going to dig deep and understand that that subject and I'm to be able to teach it because the true measure of competence in a subject is your ability to teach it. That's smart. Okay, so you were saying YouTube as an, uh, you got videos there? Yep, you can go to my website and register. I do a uh, I got all kinds of free tutorials on my website. Uh, the most popular one is I have a tutorial to teach people how to analyze a rental property okay. opportunity, how to look at investment. Because what you may find, and we have a lot of Canadians that invest in the U.S., and, and this course will apply across borders. Uh, lots of Canadian friends have taken it, and it's free, and it basically shows you how to calculate rent and expenses on a rental property. So you can look at a, at a rental property opportunity and, and decide, is this a good deal or a bad deal? The easiest way to get that is at cashflowguys.com forward slash mailbox money. And that's my free course, Mailbox Money. It comes in four videos, and you watch the videos, and you will, and you're done with the four videos, you will absolutely know what you're talking about when it comes to looking at a deal and being able to tell if it's a good one or a bad one. That's great because there, there's, so there's so many moving parts here. I mean, once you have the system down, it's it kind of, like you said, it, it's straightforward to you. But, you know, when you think about it, that's just one aspect of it, you, being able to analyze the property and then, so exactly. you, you, you're kind of breaking it down for people, like you said, into earlier, into bits, into bite-sized exactly. pieces. Yeah. Absolutely. 
So you have a bunch of those, and I think I saw they're all on a list, right, on your website. They are, and, and they are searchable. Searchable. If you really want to take this seriously, do you recommend some like uh, paid stuff or coaching? So my mastermind, we're getting ready to launch the next one in July. Uh, we're taking registrations for it now, and we do what we do is take a small group of people, and we take you from step one, this is a house, all the way through to learning what type of inv- real estate-related investments make sense for you. So you become an educated investor, right? Mm, an educated yeah. consumer. You, you'll learn are the stock is the stock market right for you or not, and in you come away with this. It's a it's a guided education. You're working directly with me. Uh, it's basically my students tell me it's it's like being a one on one coaching, but in a group setting. Okay. And we go through a 12 week process where we take you through every step of the real estate transactions, beginning to end, so that you can competently invest either your own or other folks money in real estate when you complete that course you will know exactly what you need to do you will officially be out of excuses as i like to say yeah this is you know i almost want to say just just take it so like these are this is good for anything any business absolutely and and like you said the stock market might be fine like like i'm gonna say stock market but i mean you know mutual funds or uh, safe investments like making seven percent a year for the next 40 years Maybe fine for some people, like it is for me, but it wasn't fine for you. And a lot of people are like you. They right. want to pay lower taxes. They want to maximize their time and value and not afraid of putting a little bit of a, a hard work into it. Well, you got to think about the person that not everybody has a ton of money to invest to begin with. Mm-hmm. And although these days I deal with larger numbers, there was a time that trying to amass $10,000 would have been crippling to me. Yeah. Fortunately, that is no longer the case, but um, that is the case for a lot of people. And, and I ask them, and I sometimes look at them on a call and say, well, how much do we have to, to work with? And we're talking about some apartment building, and they, their answer is, I got $5,000. Hmm. Going, well, you know, at that point, that that's a challenge. We got to get you to gr- grow that pile, and, and real estate in some forms can be a great way of doing that. That's a good point because you're right. I, I, I could put $5,000 in a, a mutual fund, and it's going to grow to a 6000 <laughs> That's right. Um, but with the skills you're talking about and the, you're talking about leveraging other people's money that you can actually make that $5,000 into a lot more if that's all you have to work with. You know, some people are lucky enough to have built up hundreds of thousands of dollars and they, they're probably going to be fine, you know, sure. uh, if they continue the way that they are. But for those who don't really see, um, the money coming in a traditional way, this might be a a good way to build wealth uh, for them. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I, I see where the where the draw is because the risk is uh, risk is low if you do it the right way. Well, you, you know, there's two ways to retire. You can either amass a pile of money or figure out a way to generate a stream of income. Mm-hmm. It takes one or the other. And unfortunately, modern society thinks that playing the stock market or playing investments to where you got to already start out with a big pile or be 21 when you start. What does the 50-year-old do that only has 10 grand in the bank? How do they retire? If you come to the game a bit late, which is, which is a lot of people, unfortunately. It is. It, it's, it is. Uh, they just never thought about it, and I meet them all the time. And mm-hmm. they're just trying to get by. And you know, there may be a point where they have to go on you know, old-age security or something, uh, and that's all they're going to have. And, and it, it's... a uh, Let's tackle that early if we if we can, right? Figure out some well, some way to prevent uh, you living on Social Security. 
I don't know about the Canadian retirement program, but the United States retirement program is, is broke. It is, it eh? Can't, yeah. It cannot afford to pay retirement for even somebody my age, and I'm 47. So, so by the time you get there, you're not going to get any help. Correct. So what do you do? Do you continue? What are you bagging groceries at 70? I don't think so. Yeah. So it's, it's important for people to at least think about this. And, you know, if they have a plan that they believe in, fine. Uh, if you don't, build some skills. This is a Absolutely. skill you can build build early. It's not going to be for everybody, uh, but it, it may be for you. So, like, just check out all your options, you know? Absolutely. Your website is great. And, and uh, I, yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks so much for, you know, the podcast is great. Website is great. Thanks for coming on the show. It's really kind of enlightening to me because I do get a little bit trapped up in uh, got to have a balanced portfolio of ETFs, right, as the right. only solution. <laughs> <laughs> for people and it's safe and fine and 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 of course i market it a lot because i have a 20-year gambling history and so i'm risk averse uh i'm right. recovered but it made me not scared but you know more sort of solid and conservative if you will uh, but i know that's not for everybody and i know some people maybe just have like you said they have some a little bit of money or just the the thought the knowledge and, and you could put a little bit of money of yours into something and then pair it with other people's money. And yeah, you, know, you get somewhere with that and grow it exponentially. Absolutely. And really that's the nature of what I do at the core. I mean, at the core, before we wrap up, I am a real estate syndicator for those that don't know what that is. And what I do is I, I bring together groups of people that don't have enough money initially on their own mm -hmm. to take down large investment opportunities. I pull them together under the watchful eye of the of the government and we go in and, and buy larger assets together as a team and that's the core of what we do and that's what i teach people to do is exactly what i do yeah and i think i don't think people would know where to begin but there are people like you everywhere and there is you so they that's can correct. go to you but yeah. uh you got to start somewhere at least kind of educate yourself on the options so this absolutely is, this is a great tyler thanks so much thank you very much i appreciate it If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It would mean a lot to me, and it only takes a few seconds. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Personal Finance Show. Next week, my guest will be a good friend of mine, Mark Rivard. He has a great personal finance story, and I'm excited for you to hear it.